Hello, hello, hello. You are currently listening to the Tech.eu podcast. This is episode number 180. I am your host, Robin Walters. I am the founder of Tech.eu and still filling in for the time being for Andre Degler from our team. He will be back soon, I promise. Meanwhile, we hope that you're keeping safe and staying sane in these crazy times. Please take care of yourselves and those around you. Today, we're going to simply give you a rundown of some of the biggest news in the EU tech industry in the past week, as we usually do, even despite the fact that we're already in the middle of summer vacation time here in Europe. Yes, that's right, it's August already. There was quite a lot of news to cover in the past few days. After the overview, you can enjoy my interview with Matthias Ljungmann. He is the co-founder of VC firm Atomico and now the founder of early stage investment firm Moonfire. The latest company to file a formal antitrust complaint to the EU over Apple's App Store is Telegram, the messaging app. In a complaint to EU competition chief Margrethe Vestager, Telegram, which has more than 400 million users, said Apple must, quote, allow users to have the opportunity of downloading software outside of the App Store. In June, Vestaya announced two antitrust investigations into Apple, one of which concerned the App Store. Apple's conflicts with developers over the store's rules have also escalated recently. Both Spotify and Rakuten have previously complained to the EU that the App Store represents a monopoly power, given that developers have to accept Apple's terms, including a 30% commission on purchases, in order to reach the hundreds of millions of people who use iPhones. In its complaint, Telegram took issue with Apple's argument that the App Store commission keeps it running. The messaging app startup was co-founded by Russian tech entrepreneur Pavel Durov and his brother in 2013, and now they're accusing Apple of halting innovation. Durov put it this way, quote, Every quarter, Apple receives billions of dollars from third-party apps. Meanwhile, the expenses required to host and review these apps are in the tens of millions, not billions of dollars. We know that because we at Telegram host and review more public content than the App Store ever will, end quote. In a surprising and slightly ironic move, Facebook is suing the European Commission for requesting thousands of documents for its antitrust investigation, saying they're not actually necessary for the scope of the investigation, with some documents including what it refers to as highly personal details. So far, the company has provided 315,000 documents, equivalent to 1.7 million pages, to the Commission. Facebook's lawsuit is aimed at the EC's antitrust regulators tasked with investigating how the company uses its data and how it competes with other social media companies since December 2019. If the court rules in Facebook's favor, the company will be able to deny the commission's request. Auto One, the eight-year-old Berlin-based company that operates a large digital platform for trading used cars, disclosed that it has raised 255 million euros from investors and would use the money to develop its new retail brand, called Auto Hero. Used car marketplaces in Europe were effectively brought to a standstill in March by the coronavirus outbreak, forcing the weeks-long closure of vehicle registration offices in tons of countries. But as they've reopened, demand for used cars has recovered, with travelers increasingly preferring their own vehicle to taking public transport, said Auto One co-CEO Christian Bertemann. He said, quote, people perceive their cars as a safe place in this pandemic adding that Auto One wasn't yet at pre-COVID levels, but close enough. For context, the company's 2019 revenue was 3.5 billion euros. It currently covers 30 European markets and has traded more than 2 million cars across its three platforms since it was founded in 2012. Another big and surprising round of funding came out of an unexpected place. Croatia-based cloud communications platform company Infobip 
secured north of $200 million from private equity firm One Equity Partners in a deal which values the scale-up at over $1 billion, according to an exclusive report from Reuters based on sources. Founded in 2006, this was the first external round of funding for Infobip, which offers a cloud-based platform that enables businesses to build connected customer experiences across a multitude of channels, including SMS, WhatsApp, Viber, and Facebook Messenger. The company boasts over 600 direct-to-carrier connections, which enables it to connect its business to a potential 7 billion people and things. And in sad news for the UK and London tech ecosystem in particular, co-working space and founder community Tech Hub has been forced to go into administration due to the coronavirus pandemic. The organization, which opened its first community space in London's Silicon Roundabout back in 2010, says it lost as much as 75% of its income as a result of COVID-19. Founder and CEO Elizabeth Varley said in a statement that Tech Hub directly supported 5,000 startups as members and had over 150,000 tech industry folks through its doors over the last decade. We'll have a chat with Varley next week for this very podcast to talk about how Tech Hub was started, what she learned along the way, and what exactly led to the company's unfortunate shutdown. That's right, Annie, and thank you for summing up some of the most important news stories from last week. And now let's move on to our interview with Mr. Matthias Ljungmann. He co-founded VC firm Atomico together with Niklas Sandstrom back in the day and is now the founder of a brand new early stage investment firm called Moonfire. Enjoy. So hey, this is Robin Walters from tech.eu and I'm having a a conversation today with uh, Matthias Ljungmann. He is the co-founder of a very well-known venture firm here, Atomico, almost 15 years ago, co-founded with Niklas Sandstrom. Uh, of Skype fame and uh, now doing uh, a little bit of uh, early stage investing on his own through a new fund uh, that he started called Moonfire Ventures. But I'm not going to introduce him if he can do that it's sort of uh, all by himself. So Matthias, thank you for joining us and uh, tell us a little bit more about your history. Well, thank you so much for taking me on the show. Um, it's always been wonderful to have conversations with you over the last, I think it was, yeah, 14, 15 years, right? So I've been involved, you know, I've been in venture capital for over 20 years. And so seeing this is my third sort of crisis, first one starting in 2000 when I actually got into venture capital. And then Tomoko, actually, we we started the fund in the, the next crisis in 2008. And it's obviously very fitting for me to start a new fund in uh, the third crisis. So here I am. You were waiting for one. I was almost not. <laughs> I was hoping, you know, I was anticipating it. But I was hoping to get in front of it. But, you know, uh, crisis creates opportunity uh, as well. You know, there's lots of issues and problems and, and, and uncertainty uh, for a lot of people. So it's a scary time, but it also creates opportunity if you deal with it in the right way. Yeah, so I've invested in companies, Climate Corp, Viagogo, Supercell, and uh, many others. But to me, what's really exciting is to be there at the beginning. So what gets me up every day is to help the next generation of entrepreneur to help the, take them to the next level because, you know, success breeds success. And we've seen that here in Europe. And is that also the reason that you started your own early stage uh, venture fund? Because was, was Atomico moving a bit too much up the stack or too late stage for you? Yeah. So, um, you know, to me, my heart has always been in the earlier stages. Uh, like I said, that's what gets me up every day. I want to help out the next generation of founder and I also feel that there's a lot to do in the in the seed stage. Uh, you know, it's now become a big category in the sense that the investment size is between one and five million dollars compared to when we started Atomico. Series A was between one and three million dollars. A, a, you know, a good substantial Series A was three million dollars. So it's come a long way. And 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 then I feel that 
that part of the market is probably the most underdeveloped. There's some excellent funds out there, uh, some that have created great success. But if you compare it to the U.S., the proliferation of great funds with multiple billion dollar exits, with strong reputations, you know, very repeatable. You know, I think that that's something that we need to build on. And I think that's going to really help kickstart the ecosystem. Uh, the timing was also interesting uh, because I think you announced just about a year ago that you were leaving Atomico. Then there was sort of a transition period, if I'm uh, not mistaken, of about six months. Then you started Internest yeah. in January. And then, of course, by March, we were in uh, full uh, global pandemic mode. So has that uh, changed any of your plans or what your year was supposed to look like? No, uh, it hasn't, strangely. I mean, the thing is, obviously, it does change in some ways, right? The world has changed. You know, some things are more difficult. So some things become harder because access to capital in those times are obviously a little bit more tricky. So for founders and so on. But in terms of what we're doing and, and my philosophy, you need to look at the long term. Don't look at the moment. Timing in venture capital uh, is not something you should be doing. So trying to time when is the right time to go in and go out. And then also selection of sectors. You know, when I was thinking about what I was doing last year, those are actually the same sectors that I'm just as excited about right now. Um, and also the way I'm working, if anything, everything has accelerated in terms of the things that I wanted to be involved with and how I wanted to work. Well, speaking of sectors, do you um, mind sharing a little bit of your investment pieces? What are the sectors and the industries that you're most interested in? Yeah, sure. So when I think about uh, investing, I think at a high end, you want to have a sort of a, a core thesis, or at least that's the way that works for me in terms of what is the things that you see as the underlying trends in the market. And they should be, in my mind, be fairly broad, encompassing you know, the, the, the bigger movements uh, that can stay the test of time, maybe for a five to 10 year period. So this is not about sort of a specific forecasting of what can happen. And so to me, what I have sort of come up with as a model is this, what I call the, the golden triangle. And, and, and in that is three corners of access, uh, efficiency, and a pretty better quality of, of product. And so what we're seeing here, you know, over the last 10, 15 years is we're getting a bigger access to capital, to knowledge and well-being and entertainment. Access is just becoming bigger and bigger with the internet. And then in terms of efficiency, this is being delivered faster and better than ever uh, before. It's better, higher quality, it's, it's lower cost, and it's coming instantaneously. And then the third part of that is that we're actually producing better quality of products. And so in the old world of the industrial world, there was always a trade-off. You know, if you think about the T Ford, you know, it was cheap, it was accessible, um, but maybe not the best product. Uh, whereas today it's cheap, accessible, and it is the best product. Um, so that's really exciting. And then from that, I'm looking at four different sectors that I've invested in over, uh, over the last 10, uh, 20 years. And that includes uh, healthcare software tools, um, which I can get into and in sort of how I define that because it's, it's a little bit specific. V video gaming, so gaming, I've always been involved with uh, fintech and future of work. Those are the areas that I think are really exciting and, and fit into that sort of the parameters that I'm looking at. Great. Well, we'll talk about uh, that a bit more in uh, detail, but uh, just to get the basic facts straight. So you started Moonfire Ventures. Have you closed the fund already or did you have a first close uh, this year? Already? No. So, I mean, obviously on, on fundraising, there's, you know, I, I can't speak about anything relating to that. That's that's uh, um, nothing we can talk about. There's, there's regulatory issues around that that, that makes it um, you know impossible to talk about that. Right. But if I'm not mistaken, you're doing this on your own, like you're a sole partner, uh, sole yeah, partner in the fund, yeah, which is so, sort of sort of a, a strange thing to do, right? 
No, you know, there's a, there's a growing trend, right? As well, there are are more, let's say, solo GPs, but that that is not my ambition. Uh, but there are some fantastic, uh, I would say, game changing solo GPs happening in the U.S. Um, and so I think that's going to happen here. That is not my plan. Uh, I I am a team player. I want to work with uh, different people and interact. And I look at the world as networks, to be honest. Uh, and I don't necessarily see boundaries company boundaries or, or anything like that. I, I think that the true partnerships uh, as well work between networks. And, and so my relationships and the people I've worked with over the last 20 years, you know, I'm still working with those groups of people. And, and it's really exciting to sort of look at the next frontier of great companies yeah. together. Well, speaking of boundaries, does it also go for physical boundaries? Like do you invest across the board in Europe or do you look at opportunities uh, more specifically in the UK? Yeah, I mean, I think this new world is destroying geography. So again, I think we should watch this space and be open-minded. Um, so I think we're going to re redefine that, you know, how we look at that. Um, I, at the moment, I'm focused on the UK, France, and the Nordics. Those are the areas that, that I know and have relationships in. I also, you know, I'm happy to look at companies across Europe, and I'd like to do that. And I think with time, you know, I'm looking at building a model that allows me to work across Europe. So I think to be able to do that efficiently, you need a certain level of software that you're building uh, that allows you to see more and do more uh, than, you know, somebody who does not use software to, to do the analysis. Uh, and then on top of that, working together with a handful of angels across Europe to start off with and then expanding that. And together we become a team and invest across the best and the brightest founders across Europe. And that to me is, is, is really exciting to be able to do that because I also feel being able to also add in to the angel network is something that I'd be really excited to do because, again, I'm comparing it to the U.S. Angels in the U.S. have a lot of funding, a lot of you know, capital behind them, experience. And uh, here in Europe, there's some great investors that are coming out that, you know, starting with smaller pockets, maybe not as many resources, if we can sort of help them take them to the next level and we can have conversations like a team in terms of, you know, what's the best approach? How should we be continuing to improve our investment acumen? That's really exciting and I think can improve the whole ecosystem. Yeah. And from what you see, this new generation of angel investors, are they usually ex-entrepreneurs? Do you see them coming out of the, the previous generation of, uh, of startups in Europe or is it mostly high net worth individuals that are just turning their interest to tech now? So uh, it's a good question. I, I think it's everything above. I think, you know, venture is attracting interest from, you know, when you're looking at capital from anywhere, because they know that this is the driver of the economy. And I think that COVID is proving that too, right? That that technology is becoming even more important, not less important. And it's accelerating some of these deep trends that we've seen over the last few years, but accelerating what, what was we thought was going to happen over two to three years are happening now at this moment in time. But the way I would define, you know, the, the top tier angels are the ones that are actively involved. You know, the ones that are making, you know, are in and around five to 10 investments a year consistently and their background really doesn't matter. Uh, it's really making sure that you are consistent and love the art, the craft of investing. And um, that's where you, I see the difference is not necessarily where the background is coming from. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, you promised to talk a little bit more about the uh, healthcare software tools, which is one of the categories you're interested in. Um, so what does that mean and, and why is it interesting to you? So to be honest, the, the golden triangle came out of my 
thought process um, many years ago looking at the healthcare space. And um, what I see as really, you know, uh, as a problem that we're dealing with, and again, COVID has heightened this, is that the cost of healthcare is just extraordinary. You know, it's growing at four plus percent for European economies. Now you think, okay, that's not that bad. But if you're then saying that it's the biggest spend of any government in in uh, in Europe, then it is really a problem because your tax revenue is so much lower growth, right? You're looking at the growth rates of GDPs or anywhere, well, this year it's not going to look good, but, but you know, so in a good year, maybe it's one, one and a half, you know, some, if they get lucky, 2%, right? And so there's a big gap. And so to me, it's like, you know, how do you solve that gap? And then how do you create better care? So what you want is to have more access and you want to be able to deliver that cheaply and efficiently. And then you want to improve the quality of care. And I think that that's, you know, what we're seeing playing out with these new uh, solutions that are maybe much more, you know, so there's, there's different ways of looking at healthcare. And what I'm not doing is looking for the solutions that are looking specifically for, like, let's say, treatments or something like that, where you're going into sort of deeper tech solutions in terms of solving those problems. To me, I think there's a lot of, I mean, I'm interested in those, and I think there's a lot to be done there. But I'm also really interested in some of just the, the basic software systems that can create incredible uh, efficiency gains for the healthcare system uh, that can be distributed across whole countries or across Europe. You know, and, and a lot of it actually at the core becomes communication tools because at the end of the day, healthcare is about the patient, the clinician, and the administrator communicating well together what's going on, uh, what's wrong with you, and how can you get the right appropriate care. And then on top of that, what's interesting is that we're also seeing this, you know, that the concept before was let's centralize all healthcare, you know, and we create hospitals and people go into hospitals. So sick and fragile and the vulnerable come into uh, the hospitals, which in some ways is, is, is maybe not the best answer. And we've seen that today that, you know, we don't want that to happen. We'd rather you stay at home. We can help service you there. And, and the insights that you can gain in terms of what people are eating, how they are living, you know, and, and so on can be much more deeper than sort of having that centralized system. But also what's interesting is, and it's, it's the fact of, of the world is that we're going back again. We're going back to the doctor who did always visit at home and that used to be the norm. So it's exciting. That is true. I'm old enough to remember that. Uh, even me. So, uh, thanks for for uh, clarifying um, sort of that that interest in that industry. Um, but going back a, a little uh, step back, talking about European tech, you've always been bullish about uh, the ecosystems in plural. Um, you've always been quite positive and optimistic. Now, of course, you have to be if you're an early stage investor. But I'll, I'll flip the question around. Like, what are some of the things in Europe that you think are really problematic that needs to be solved for us to you know go to the next level? Yeah, I think. The one thing that I would say is we need to inject more speed. And it's a very simple concept, but in everything that we do. So, you know, us as investors need to become faster. Our entrepreneurs need to deliver quicker. Uh, and I think that is probably the thing that differentiates us. I think we can be as a, as a, as a, what I would call it almost a nation, but this part of the world, we're probably way more careful in the way that we work and we are more deliberate and therefore we probably don't work with speed and breaking things like other parts of the world have done. And so I think that that's, if it would be one thing I would say, let's try to do everything we can to test, experiment, make mistakes, 
be okay with that and take it to the next level. Yeah. I've heard that argument before. I'd say the, the other side of the medal, of course, if you have downturns or you have, you know, these really big busts of, of American tech companies you don't really see in Europe, uh, some consider that a good thing, that we move slower, but more consistently and stable. But Yeah, so I think that, you know, there's, there's something to be said for that. I think speed, though, doesn't necessarily mean that you are, I mean, I think some of those situations were people just having excess. And so uh, it wasn't necessarily the speed, but it was the excess and sometimes even corporate governance that was not existent. But yeah, it's tied to it too. You have some things, you have breakdowns and you don't have the controls in place. Uh, and you do need to make sure that you are taking care of the welfare of society in general, which uh, I think is going to become increasingly important as a theme for any tech company. Because, you know, it was when we started together with Nicholas starting Atomic 10 14 years ago, the concept of a billion dollar company was an extraordinary concept. Today, it's, it's more, you know, there's 100 unicorns across Europe. And now, to be honest, the more extraordinary concept is a $100 billion company in Europe. But we're seeing what I'm trying to say there is the tech companies now entered as being leaders of our economies, of, the industri- of this next age, this age of the internet or, and so on, and the digital age. And therefore, we have a lot more responsibility than what we did uh, many years ago. Anything else in Europe uh, from your experience that you think is a barrier to scaling up to the levels of uh, the US, maybe in China? You know, I think it's, it, to me, it's a virtuous circle, success breeds success. And I think that that needs to continue. It's great to see Spotify at a $50 billion valuation and and the, the wealth of knowledge and expertise and competency that, that's created. We need more of that. We need to build bigger and better platforms. Um, you know, it's bold as well. A lot of those entrepreneurs not selling uh, selling out and they're continuing to build out what they're doing. I think that courage is is really important, but I would say that Europe has always had that. You know, it's been you know we we talk about ourselves uh, in many ways of of sort of being behind it, but I believe that modern innovation and and to be honest, modern commerce was really invented here in Europe. And I think post war we probably were a change of a mindset, you know, and, and that has been hard for us to sort of evolve out of. Um, but I think this next generation of entrepreneurs, like I think. You know, you're seeing the people coming out of university across Europe and what they want to do is is build the next generation of leader. And we sh- we as 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 a sort of ecosystem in terms of the, the investors, we need to help uh, foster that as much as we can. Yeah. Uh, hope springs eternal. I'm looking forward to, to the investments you're uh, going to make. You've already made investment through Moonfire, I assume. Yeah, I have. Yeah. So I've been actively investing uh, throughout the period. Uh, I feel like I'm seeing some great companies. And um, in the beginning, uh, when the COVID hit, I, I felt it was pretty quiet uh, out there and I was still cutting deals. Um, so I've had multiple deals now that I'm, I'm sort of uh, put into the, the fund. I've also taken my angel deals and put them into, yeah. Yeah. into, the, uh, into the fund. But it's, it's, um, I can feel it also heating up. Like uh, I think that there's been a big change over the last two to three weeks, and many of those later stage uh, investors are spending a little bit more time on the seed stage. And I think that's just great for for the whole seed state ecosystem. So um, it's much more competitive. So deals are being done. Yeah. Well, I, I can tell you from our side of TechU, like we really haven't seen that much of a slowdown when it comes to news. Our editorial team has been working the same uh, every week, uh, whether it was during COVID, and even now, we're recording this podcast mid-July, and even now, it's the start of the summer, but the deals just keep flowing in. It's insane. 
Uh, which I, we're I not going to have a summer. Uh, yeah, well, but I think it's a healthy sign. Like it, it's also a sign of a yeah. mature ecosystem that you don't have that two-month hiatus anymore during the summer, which you used to have in venture. Um, uh, question, do you see uh, Atomico joining one of your portfolio companies as an investor soon? I, you know, I absolutely hope so. Look, I'm in conversations with them on a almost daily basis, um, different people in that organization. I had an, I mean, it was such, so much fun to help be part of that process of building Atomico from the beginning and, and working with such great, smart people. Um, so to me, it's just looking back, lots of good times. And, uh, yeah, so constant conversation. In fact, I have, uh, uh, the Moonfire Moon Zoom series. Dan Hines, who's the head of talent at, uh, at uh, Tomoko, came and joined. And so we have lots of different things overlapping all the time. I'm, I'm in a conversation about some of the ideas that I have in fintech with some of the other people at the, at the firm. So I have lots of different people that I'm speaking to all the time. Nice. Well, it's good to see you still have a healthy relationship with them. Moonfire, where does the name come from? I like the name, but I don't know what I should be thinking. <laughs> yeah. To me, uh, it doesn't really mean anything, to be honest. Uh, it's a, but I was always thinking, you know, about moonshots and being able to be brave and look at creating those big platforms, really, uh, for the European ecosystem. And and I think, you know, to me, if you think about it as the as as the rocket ship going into space, you know, building those foundations at the beginning uh, are so important because it kind of shows the direction of travel. So if you can get that right, uh, you are saving so much time. And you're sort of you're pointed in the right direction and you can really be helpful. And so to me, that rocket launcher is just so important. And I would love to be that person by the side of those entrepreneurs, supporting them, uh, taking you know the time to just help them take take things to the next level uh, and taking what I've seen and heard or what we can do to sort of show a path that, OK, this is what you need to think about or whatever. That's what I love doing. That's what uh, it's so exciting with with working in this business. Yeah, great to hear. And we'll be watching from our side as well. Um, you also scored the .com. So it's moonfire.com. Uh, uh, it's a bit sparse right now. So I'm looking forward to seeing the, the website fill up with portfolio companies and exciting exciting investments. When do you think you'll have sort of an update on close of the fund, the new investments made, et cetera? Yeah. So in terms of uh, new investments, I'm, uh, you know, there were announcement recently that, that, that Willa got some money and Pento and so on. So I, I will be sharing all the time as, as and when things happen, what's going on. And I think it's really important to be as transparent as you can. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to keep everybody up to date. Great. Well, you know where to find us. And thank you also for uh, joining this podcast. I think it will be uh, quite a, a nice listen for a lot of people within the ecosystem. Uh, thank you so much for your time and best of luck with Moonfire. Thank you so much. And this is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. We really hope you enjoyed it. Please help us spread the word. Tell a friend or colleague or family member about the show and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by Sound Pulse, that is sound-pulse.com. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions, and opinions at podcast.tech.eu. I am going to talk to you next Monday, still filling in for Andrew Daigler. Until then, please enjoy your week and take care. Bye-bye.